If you would remain standing, open your Bibles to Psalm 46. We'll continue our study of the Psalms this summer. This morning, Psalm 46. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her. When morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Heavenly Father, We do indeed pray for your help in this time. Would you delight to use even the words of a sinful man to convey these great, beautiful truths? By your spirit, would you impress them on our hearts, reminding us that indeed we have a refuge and we don't have to live as though we don't. Help us with these things, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. week before last, I don't know, I was in Memphis, but I hear that this idea and notion of refuge became very immediate to the people of our community at about 2 a.m. I've heard that it, it sounded terrifying. That as the wind hit, it It even shook some homes. It it certainly rocked our communities as trees fall and all you're thinking is, I gotta get someplace safe. I have heard countless stories from you about getting into a hallway and there your prayer life just like triples. Pray more in those 10 minutes than maybe you've prayed in a long time. That's the notion of refuge. You have these two competing interests. You have have this bearing down storm, and then you have this place of safety. This place 
to hide. That's the topic that the sons of Korah take up in Psalm 46. And as I've been thinking about Psalm 46 this week, um, I thought a lot about a mighty fortress is our God, Luther's hymn that we sang when we started. He did so rooted and based on Psalm 46. And we often think, I'm just adding this for free, this has nothing to do with, but we think of the Protestant Reformation as primarily a, a reform in theology. And that's partially true. It's a doctrinal and theological revival, but it was also a revival in song. Imagine your whole life you had never sung the hymns of the church because they were sung by a choir and sung in Latin. You didn't even know them. The Protestant Reformation spread like a fire through a field because people sang. And what a joy it is to hear all of you belt out this morning, a mighty fortress is our God. The psalm that we come across today is a song because the superscription tells us to the choir master of the sons of Korah, a song given to the temple choir master. This was to be sung in the temple choir for worship. It's an interesting song because it's a song about apocalypse, decreation, mountains toppling into the sea, the Lord uttering a little word and the earth melting. How are we supposed to live secure in a world that is anything but secure? We were just reminded by way of a storm that we actually don't have control. In some senses, this whole region, this whole community, a, a wide swath has been deeply impacted. We have all in one way or another been in stress, but not only that, Every single one of us deal with various struggles. Sickness, disease, cancer, mental and spiritual issues, depression, family members with various conditions. Every single one of us here, in some way or another, we are in need of refuge. Today's psalm is not a bleak one, though its setting is clearly bleak because it's apocalyptic, it's decreation, it's, it's a song written to, to give the people of God an answer. What's our answer to those things? This psalm is a balm for the tired and weary souls who face dire circumstances. The psalm itself is broken down for us. The presence of God, provision of God, and the power of God. First is presence. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, the psalmist opens hitting hard. 
God is our refuge. Before he even tells us about the storm, he tells us where to hide. Before he even addresses what is going on to to cause need for such a refuge, he, he tells you where to go. It's almost like he He knows that you're going to have trouble. God is our refuge and strength. God alone is our hiding place. God alone is our security. God plus nothing else. He is the place we hide. Why do we need refuge? The psalmist paints a dim picture. The earth is coming undone. Mountains are falling into the seas and they are roaring and foaming. Go all the way back to the creation of the world in Genesis chapter 1. This is an undoing of that. Where God talked and spoke to those chaotic waters and out of that brought glorious creation. Here the psalmist is saying all that's coming undone. This is how the Hebrew mind viewed creation before the chaotic void. The psalmist is saying it feels like every single thing I thought would be secure and stable is going away in an instant. I know we've had a rough couple of weeks. Some, some of you have been without power for a long time. It's been pretty miserable. But what if the worst were to happen? What do you do then? This is where the psalm begins. The worst is happening. I think sometimes we can just look at verses like these or or think about the reality that there is song and, and skip over what we're being invited into. What's the worst news you've ever received? What's that hard phone call that you did not expect, but you picked up the phone, you answered, and then the news hit? What was it that you heard that you felt like the floor just dropped out? That's the setting of this psalm. That's where the psalmist is. It feels like the world is sliding into the ocean. The worst has come. Where do you go? Where does your heart take you in those times? The psalm sends us to the presence of God himself. It says, he is your hallway in the storm. Run to him. Hide in him. Refuge, this idea gives us this strength of understanding that something is around us, outside of us. Something that we go into. That's a refuge in God. We have a place to run, a place to hide. We have shelter, but it also says strength. Not only do we have these outer forces, but this inner strength. Strength, might, power, force. God is my refuge and my strength. In the worst possible moments, God is, God is our outward fortress and our inward Strength again, verse 1, a very present help in times of trouble. 
This is a really interesting thing when you think about it theologically. You could very easily look at the psalmist and say, yeah, but we know our theology, sons of Korah. God is everywhere. The psalmist isn't saying God is everywhere, but he's saying something very important to us that I think every single one of us need to hear. God is very present help in trouble. The term help is the same word used to describe Eve in the garden in several places in the Bible that is used to describe God himself. He is a helper to those who are in trouble. Here's a spiritual truth that it takes years and decades and a lifetime to learn. And even when you learn it, you still might not like it. God uses crisis and suffering to show his presence to his people. God grows his people through trial. The psalm, the opening of the psalm is acknowledging the reality of that. Mountains giving way and toppling into the seas that are roaring and foaming and everything is in crisis. And God is very present there, right there in that place. You ever thought about Isaiah's heavenly vision? Isn't that great? We love the heavenly vision. Isaiah 6. But do you remember where that starts? In the year that King Uzziah died. Political upheaval. Isaiah was given this vision of the majesty and glory of God during Upheaval. Uzziah had been the longest serving and most powerful monarch the people have had since Solomon. That's a lot of stability. That's a lot of, man, everything, we've got it going on. Things are great. Boom, King Uzziah dies. This prophet gets a vision of the glory of God in his holy temple. A time of crisis. A time of trouble. Also is a time where the prophet could see. He could, he could see the throne of God. Also, when we think of God coming near to his suffering people, how can we not think of Christ himself? A very present help. Did you hear the song? A very present help. Shelter, strength, a very present help. You can't be more present than Christ incarnate. Christ came to live in the world that he created. He became present. Emmanuel, what does that mean? God with us. A very present God. He he came so near to us that he could die. Not because he deserved death, but so that... He could be a refuge for those of us that do deserve death. The psalmist is saying, it feels like every single thing I thought I could count on for stability in life is utterly going away. Utterly going away. Yet we have a refuge in Christ. The greatest protecting presence the world has ever known. Born In Bethlehem, laid in a feeding trough, he came to defend his own people at the cost of his own life. A very present help in trouble. 
Whose presence do you need when things are stormy? No doubt when the storms rolled through, children needed their parents to be present. Even though limbs were falling and trees were toppling, they didn't want the President of the United States. They didn't want a general or they didn't want the the Air Force base to, to come near to them. They wanted mom and dad. That's what's going on here. We, we are being introduced to the very present help of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, whose presence calms you, whose presence casts out fear. Have you met Jesus, who is the embodiment of God's protecting presence in the world? He has not left us alone. He has given the Spirit who is still with us, reminding us of His incredible love. I think this is especially applicable to those of us finding that we live our lives in fear. What can take you from fear to hope? The psalmist is saying the presence of God. Know that God is near. And though the whole world is cast into the sea, He is your refuge and your strength. And He is your help. Because of Christ, we we are near to God. Here's another way to frame the application of this first part, the, the presence of God. And it's simply this. Proclaim the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of the truth. Here's who I am and here's who God is and do it again and again and again. From presence, the the psalmist moves to the provision of God in 4 through 7. Like many psalms, this one moves rather dramatically. The picture in 2 and 3, the earth giving way, mountains tossed into the sea. Verses 4 and 5 present different images. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The raging water of verses 2 and 3 are transformed into a life-giving river that has streams that make glad the city of God. Do you see what the psalmist is doing? From fear and the whole earth going away into the water. And then he he keeps water in the picture, but now it's a river. Who can take the very thing that you are most afraid of, the very thing that you believe is this big threat, and utterly swap it, flip it into utter blessing? That's exactly what the song is saying. God can take the very thing you fear and turn it into life-giving purpose and joy. This is what God does. He provides. That's what this river is doing. This is no ordinary river. It is a river flowing through the city of God. Really interesting that Zion, Jerusalem, never really had a big river. Remember the book, Brook Kidron. This is talking about another river, the holy habitation of the Most High Himself. God is the source of this river. And it will never, ever move. 
If you've ever paid close attention to your Bible, it's not surprising to find a river here. I heard one commentator note that if you squeeze your Bible, water would run out of it. In creation, Genesis 2, we see the vast river flowing through Eden, giving it life. It broke into four rivers, spreading blessings throughout the earth, casting jewels and gold, and all this stuff was just there for the taking. In Exodus, when the people of God were thirsty and grumpy, God provided a river flowing enough that, so that the whole nation could drink of water gushing from a, a rock. Throughout the Psalms, we find this metaphor of God's provision through streams and rivers. Ezekiel 47, you should read that for homework. It's a remarkable chapter. Out of the temple flowed a river. As it flows, it's just a little stream at first. And as it flows, and this is life-giving from the altar, it flows out. And as it goes, it gets deeper and wider. It It doesn't work in the physical world like this. It gets deeper and wider and then it teems with fish and and swarming life all around. It's a remarkable image. Famously in the vision of glory, which we read earlier, Revelation 22, the angel showed me the river of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Revelation is speaking to the deepest longing of every human being. For life itself, water. Without it, we take, we take so little notice of it. We took greater notice during the uh, storms when the water in Shreveport shut down. This became a more present reality for us. Life-giving. Without it, you quickly die. The kingdom of God is marked by a crystal clear river flowing from the throne of God. And the idea is this, life. Life. You might well say, well, that's good. Good for heaven. Good for us in heaven. Excellent for then. What about now when I'm feeling dried up? Remember our study, John chapter 7. We read this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying something that is incredibly true for the Christian. Drink of me. Fill yourself with this river of life flowing from me, Jesus says. And then something amazing happens. From you will come rivers of living water flowing from your belly. It's really remarkable. Guess what will not happen? Rivers of water will not flow from your belly unless you are drinking from the the font that is Jesus. You want to get better at mission. You want to get better at being able to proclaim the gospel in awkward situations. You want to get better at engaging your neighbors. You want to be a better Christian in the workplace. You cannot expect rivers of living water to flow from you like this river whose streams make glad the city of God unless you are drinking from Christ Himself. Let me encourage you to 
to drink of the water of the word and encourage one another to love and good deeds. The psalmist goes on to to tell us about the certainty of God's provision in 5 through 7. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So it, it may sound initially like, okay, we have this refuge, so everything is fine. Nothing bad happens. This river of God is flowing through the city of God, and and in this life, nothing bad should happen. And we know that that's not true. The psalmist isn't saying that at all. He's saying, even though the nations rage, God is ruling. Even though the kingdoms totter, the city of God remains utterly unmoved. Even though the earth melts, God will save his people when the morning comes. The psalmist is not saying everything is going to be great. It's saying despite the fact that that things are bad, Christ still has you. You still have refuge in God. Being a believer doesn't mean that we will not suffer. We will. Martin Luther who wrote the hymn we sang earlier, based off this psalm, struggled deeply with depression and anxiety. On August 2nd, 1527, Luther wrote this to a friend and fellow reformer, Philip Melanchthon. He says this, "I I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain and I still tremble. Completely abandoned by Christ, I labored under the vacillations and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. But through the prayers of the saints, talking about his friends, God began to have mercy on me and pulled my soul from the inferno below. End quote. That's a man in the pit. Luther wasn't the only one. Charles Spurgeon had a lifelong and deep battle with depression. Elijah, deep battle with depression. Jeremiah was dubbed famously the weeping prophet. Isaiah prophesied that the Lord Jesus himself would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. No, this psalm is not saying that everything is going to be just great. No, it's got the earth melting. Mountains falling into seas. Having this God doesn't mean our circumstances will always be perfect, but it does mean that with God, unlike with anything else in this life, we will have certainty. In Him, we have a future to look forward to. In Christ, we are the people of God, and nothing will ever change that. Kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. Luther says... One little word shall fell him. Another lesson we should take away is this. We should learn to despair, but not of God. See, despair is is never bad in the scripture. It's, It's only bad when it's despairing of God. We should learn to despair of our sin. We should learn to despair of our own righteousness, which is not enough. 
We should despair of our own attempts at pleasing God apart from His grace. What should give us true despair are the loves of our hearts that are for anything other than what God has given us. So we've seen the presence of God, the provision of God, now lastly, His unmitigated power. Notice verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. See the work of desolation that God brings. So God does bring desolation. He absolutely brings desolation, yet this Desolation is different than the desolation that we would think of. He makes wars cease. The desolation that God brings is the ceasing of war. He breaks the weapons of war and burns the vehicles of war. He ends strife. The outcome is peace. But the process is judgment. That too should remind us of something. Whereas another violent act of judgment that we have ever seen in Scripture that brought about peace. He's pointing directly to our Lord who Himself suffered a violent act of destruction. God says, I'm bringing destruction, but that destruction is going to bring peace. See Christ. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The cross itself, this great act of judgment bringing peace. How the Lord has brought desolation, and that desolation is an end to all war. Calvin says, quote, God is here set forth as adorned with these titles that we should Look for peace from Him, even when the whole world is in uproar and agitated in a dreadful manner. Look to Christ for peace. And Christ's instruments designed to kill become instruments that give life. The swords are hammered into plows for the field. This is what God has come to do. He comes to reconcile us to God in Christ. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's the application? Fortunately, the psalmist is kind to a preacher. I don't have to guess. He tells us, be still. No God. One commentator notes, this is not the first comfort for the harassed, but a rebuke to the restless and turbulent world that is raging. Be quiet. Be still. Why stillness? It's such an odd thing, but, but that's right. If, if, if you feel harassed, if you, if you feel in, like, like a threat, if you have fear, Your automatic instinct is, I have to do something. I've got to fix this. I've got to make it right. And the answer of the psalm is that the earth is melting, but you have this refuge, and the application is this. Stop your toiling. Stop. Rest in 
and God, who is your refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Last week we heard Joe describe the sleeping of Jesus on a boat in the storm. Be still, Jesus says. The psalmist is telling us because of God's work bringing peace that this is our application. Stillness. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, apart from this mighty fortress, our striving would be losing. The end of the psalm tells us where to find the stillness that we need. God who is exalted in the nations. Not just God, but God with us. The very present God with us. The Lord of armies is on our side. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Having all these terrible things set side by side with great things, it reminded me of the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, where hard things sit side by side with blessed things. And we'll end with these words from the gospel. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but poor doesn't sound great to me. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. How many of you guys just love to mourn? Like, you do it like it's an exercise every day. Blessed are those who mourn for theirs, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Another one of those things that we just love to be meek. No. No. It's hard. Blessed, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Do you love hunger and thirst? Such great feelings. No, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Skipping down to 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Mm, Sign me up for that. Put me on that list. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. That sounds great. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Those sound terrible, but set side by side with blessing and glory. And that is what it means to have refuge in God. Child of God, though the earth gives way, though the mountains topple into the sea, you have a strong refuge and strength and a very present help in God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that though we go through terrible things and we feel like everything is collapsing around us, You, Lord, are a very present help, a stronghold, a comfort, a strength. 
Lord, would you shape our lives around these truths? Lord, for those even in this room today who need desperately a refuge, may they find one in you, Christ. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.